You're listening to episode number six of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Dr. David Garrison. We talk about his latest book, A Wind in the House of Islam. David has traveled extensively throughout the Muslim world, conducted numerous interviews, and in this book he shares about how the Lord is bringing Muslims to faith in Christ. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist Dr. J.D. Payne. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Today on Strike the Match, we are having a conversation about some incredible works of the Holy Spirit in the Muslim world. Uh, My guest is Dr. David Garrison. Uh, Dr. Garrison is the global strategist for evangelical advance with the International Mission Board, and he has worked with Muslims for, for many, many years and is the author and editor of nine books on reaching unreached peoples, uh, including uh, his book that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, uh, Church Planning Movements, How God is uh, Redeeming a Lost World. And uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, his new book, his latest book that many of you probably have already laid hands on. If not, I want to encourage you to make sure that you get this, uh, A Wind in the House of Islam. It came out last year in 2014, uh, How God is Drawing Muslims Around the World to Faith in Jesus Christ. And so, uh, David, I am so glad that you're with us today on Strike the Match and want to welcome you to our episode. Thank you, J.D. It's a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. So, brother, I want to tell you, I was first exposed to you back even before church planning movements was published. Uh, the International Mission Board, you probably remember this, pro- produced a, uh, a small booklet called Church Planning Movements along with a video. Do you remember that? Oh, yes, yes. I, I believe it was back in 1999, 2000, something of that nature. I wrote that booklet. I remember it well. Well, I have, uh, I've, I've used that many times. Uh, I've, I've used it in, in classes that I've taught on church planning, and I have shown that video uh, to, to large numbers of people over the past, well, was it going on 15 years now? So you're kind of a movie star there in my class. <laughs> <laughs> well, back then, at least I had hair. I had that going for me, so times have changed. I've got a, a face that it's made for podcast and audio these days. <laughs> that's great. Well, man, this is a book that's getting some good traction out there as well. I mean, I'm seeing it um, all over the place, a lot of ads showing up in, in missions periodicals. Uh, what's, what's been the reception of this book? Well, it's been a, a very encouraging reception. Certainly, it's gotten the broadest distribution of any book I've been associated with to date. I think we're we're approaching our third uh, printing. Wow! Uh, they've uh, they've published editions now. It's coming out in Arabic. It's coming out in Chinese. It's coming out in Indonesian, and uh, we even have a European edition that's uh, going to be printed uh, within the next month. So, well, we're encouraged. It's uh, it's uh, getting a widespread reading and a lot of. Uh, uh, a lot of the sort of response we were looking for, of people saying, yeah, this encouraged me to know that God is at work in the Muslim world, and all of our efforts have not been in vain. In fact, they are yielding a, a great harvest today. Mm, I'll tell you what, that that is exciting, and you know, and, and you're exactly right. I mean, I was I was really encouraged by by many of the things that I read in this book. So, so for the listener that's out there right now. Uh, that either is not aware of this book or maybe is aware of the book, they, they know that it's out there, but, but they, they've not read it. Uh, can you give us an idea what, 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 is, what is the whole thrust of this book? 
Well, a wind in the house of Islam, of course, is a reference to the Holy Spirit's wind that's blowing through the Muslim world. House of Islam is a term that uh, was coined by Muslims back in the 8th century to describe that part of the world that's under Islamic control. What's striking is that uh, it doesn't control the Holy Spirit. Mm. And we have found an unprecedented number of Muslim movements to Christ today. In fact, uh, some 84% of all the movements, and by a movement I'm talking about at least a thousand baptisms within a community, 84% of all the movements in history are taking place right now. Wow. And this is something that escapes the attention of most of us, even though we, we read the news, we, you know, we watch uh, cable news, and we stay on top of what's going on. We don't hear this story. So this was an effort to actually capture the story from those who are living it themselves. Now, go back. You, you just mentioned it just kind of in passing, because in the book you do t- give your definition of a movement. Can you, can you mm. kind of slow that down for us and give that to us once again? Yes. Uh, you know, if you ask a room full of Muslims, do you love Jesus, they'll all raise their hand and say yes. So we're not talking about affection. We're not talking about uh, being a fan of Jesus. We're talking about people who have said, I not only believe Jesus, I believe everything Jesus said about himself, and I'm following him in believer's baptism. So we uh, we use that as a benchmark. If they've been baptized, they're willing to say to their community, look, I believe in this, and if you want to kill me for it, then so be it. So wherever there's been at least a thousand baptisms within a community, within a people group, a, a Muslim uh, people group, uh, over a two-decade period, we allow two decades for this to happen, uh, then we're saying that's a movement. That's something bigger than just a coincidence or a random occurrence. Something uh, has significant momentum there. Uh, now, J.D., in some cases, uh, we found that there have been tens of thousands, mm-hmm. even hundreds of thousands who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. So what we're saying is the floor of this is at least a 1,000. The ceiling, frankly, we can't know. There's places where these are happening. There's just no way to, to get an accurate census at this point. Uh, but something unprecedented is happening today. And we've looked back through the scope of, of uh, history to see when has this happened previously. And what we're seeing today is, is literally un, unparalleled and unprecedented. So, so the, the listener that's out there uh, that maybe does not have a great deal of information uh, on the Muslim world, uh, a lot of stereotypes, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so let me let me kind of ask this question to you. So, so is the Muslim world uniform? Are all Muslims the same? <laughs> I think you know the answer to that, JD. But I always, we'll just I always believe in throwing listening. softball questions out there. <laughs> well, one of the things I do in the book, and they'll see a, a picture of uh, there's there's a lot of maps I have in the book that actually show the Muslim world uh, as a, as they call it again, the House of Islam, divided into nine rooms, mm-hmm. and each of these rooms uh, has a whole different uh, cultural and geographic uh, context in which Islam has emerged. So West Africa, for example, is very different than uh, Indonesia or Central Asia. Turkestan is very different than uh, the Arab world. Mm -hmm. And what we've tried to do is identify nine distinct rooms, geocultural rooms in the House of Islam, and then dive into each of those. I was fortunate to be able to travel uh, more than a quarter of a million miles through the House of Islam into every room in the House of Islam to capture these stories and to see that, in fact, there are movements emerging, and in some cases, multiple movements in each room in the House of Islam. So, you, you, you travel that, all that distance. You also, in the book, talk about your, your method that you used in doing the research behind this book. C- can you share a little bit about that on how you collected these stories? 
Yes. Well, one of the things I, I did is I developed a questionnaire that really centered around a core question. The core question was, what did God use to bring you to faith in Christ? And then sort of concentric circles building out from that question. The next one is, what is God using in your community to draw other Muslims to faith in Christ? Mm -hmm. Now, we also ask them hard questions like, uh, what do you say about Muhammad today? What do you say about the Quran? What do you say about the Bible? Who is Jesus to Mm -hmm. you? And try to capture in their own words what their understanding of their relationship to God through Jesus Christ is, what their relationship is to their uh, Muslim community around them is. We ask about persecution. We ask about uh, how their life has changed as a result of their relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we got from this, J.D., was just a treasure trove of insights. Now, I call this in the book a phenomenological approach. Uh, I have a philosophy of why use an easy word when a difficult one will do. (laughs) Uh, Phenomenology really is just a descriptive approach. It's letting them speak for themselves, letting the phenomenon, in this Mm -hmm. case, Muslim movements to Christ, letting it speak for itself rather than imposing upon it my criteria, my value judgments. I do that. I actually do a critical analysis, but I do it at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. First, letting each of these uh, representatives of movements speak for themselves what happened to cause them to move from an Islamic orientation to an orientation around Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Right, and and, and I noticed, you know, in in that in that methodology of reporting, letting letting the people in the field speak, uh, you, you were you were very transparent. I mean, you, you shared uh, statements that that many evangelicals would would uh, resonate with and would would feel very comfortable with. But you also allowed those people to speak and share <laughs> statements that uh, would raise some eyebrows. I mean, is that not oh true? yeah. Well, they raised my own eyebrows. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm very clear in the book. I have these 10 critical issues, and one of those issues is that we will take a phenomenological approach and let people say things, whether it's what we expect or we like or not. Right. Let them speak. But also make it very clear that, you know, I'm an evangelical. I'm a Southern Baptist, and I'm not uh, shying away from that. That's my identity. That's who I am, and I, I, I'm proud to be a, a Southern Baptist. Uh, and so at the end of the book, I come back and say, now, in light of what we've heard and what we've seen, here are some of the patterns, some of the trends, some of the uh, insights. Granted, there are there are surprises that come in, uh, things that, and there are things that they can say that we can't say. Right. There are things that they can uh, reflect from their personal pilgrimage toward Christ and through the baptismal waters that are really just very different than our own. And uh, some people aren't happy with that. Uh, again, it surprised me sometimes, but I wanted to be honest and mm-hmm. tried to to be as as clear and as accurate as I could in reporting what was reported to me. And and, and in those you know conversations and in that reporting, I mean, you, you obviously talk about uh, the, the the conversation that's happened in a lot of missiological circles about contextualization issues, mm-hmm. and and talking. You even bring out matters related to some of the insider movements and things of that nature. Uh, has has this book been been controversial in some circles since it came out last year? You know, not much, uh, because what I really ask people to evaluate is, was I accurate? Was I honest? Was I transparent in what I reported? Now, the conclusions they draw, I recognized, would vary Mm -hmm. uh, from person to person. Some people uh, are going to like what they see. Some are not going to like it. Some are going to see it from one angle, some from another. But And they're welcome to do that. I actually invite that. And I think we, we all get a richer understanding if we allow ourselves to listen to others, right. people with whom we disagree. So that's not been a problem. I've been pleasantly surprised at, at, at what I've heard and seen. You know, if this book had had 
only captured the the historical background behind uh, the the different rooms, the nine rooms in the Muslim world, and if it had only shared missions history, in other words, if it if it did not say anything about the contemporary uh, movements of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and only gave us the history and only told us about uh, the different cultural uh, differences between these nine different rooms, uh, that would be worth the price of the book. I mean, it's just, well, an ex- thank you. just an excellent work, David. It helped me in getting a good understanding uh, that uh, there are great differences on a lot of different levels uh, in the worldview and the perspectives and even the religious beliefs among the, the Muslims in these nine rooms. Well, that's what uh, that's what I had to discover as well. You know, with nearly 1.7 billion Muslims in the world, more than one out of every five people on earth is a Muslim. Mm-hmm. It's easy to make generalizations and say those Muslims this, those Muslims that. Right, yeah. But when you peel back the layers and realize, you know, with so many people, they're really very diverse. So I tried to describe each of the rooms in terms of what made that room unique, what uh, the, the African experience in West Africa of slavery and even the gold and diamond trade that that created that context, very different uh, from what you find in Indo-Malaysia mm-hmm. uh, with the colonization and the history of the Portuguese and the Dutch and the, the colonizers that came in there. So each of these places has its own uh, unique uh, background and history, and for that reason, it helps shape their worldview and how they view the Christian witness that comes in, so, whether they can see Jesus or whether they sometimes see a potential invader and conqueror. That, that's very important to understand. That's, that's, a, gr- that's a great point. Yeah, one of the things that, that I found that was, was really fascinating in this book is is the, the importance of understanding history, and, and from your take in this book— um, while there has been uh, centuries of, I guess we could say, uh, attempts by various Christians to to reach Muslims, uh, what we're seeing the whole the movements, these eighty two movements. I mean, it's it. There were a few things that's happened in you know in, in distant history, but for the most part, it's more contemporary. Can you kind of give us just a quick? historical, you know, synopsis of that. Well, it is striking that, you know, in the early centuries of Muslim-Christian interaction, I go all the way back to the beginning, uh, that you had literally hundreds of thousands of Christians who were assimilated into the Muslim world. Their names were changed to Muhammad and Abdullah, mm-hmm. and uh, and their descendants are the ones that we're facing in the Muslim world today. Their, their ancestors were Christians. And yet during those early centuries, you find uh, virtually no movements of Muslims to Christ. Mm-hmm. You get the first one 350 years after the death of Muhammad, and then uh, 200 more years pass before you get two more movements. Mm-hmm. And then you have 500 years without a single movement of even wow. a 1,000 Muslims into the Christian faith. Uh, not until 1870 in Indonesia, you get a breakthrough with Shadrach Surapranata down in Indonesia, followed by another breakthrough that takes place in Ethiopia. Then you have to jump ahead to 1967 before the next breakthrough takes place, and you have 2.8 million Indonesians are baptized. Mm-hmm. Probably 2 million of those are, are Muslims. Mm-hmm. What follows after that over the next uh, three decades is sort of a cascade of 11 uh, movements uh, of Muslims across the Muslim world come into the Christian faith. They're small, but they're significant. Um, And then you enter into the 21st century, our century, and in just the first 12 or 13 years of the 21st century, we had 69 more movements. Mm, Wow. 
These are movements happening right now from West Africa across uh, the Middle East, North Africa, Eastern Africa, uh, the Persian world. Tremendous movements taking place in Iran today, into Central Asia, down into South Asia, uh, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, over into Indo-Malaysia. We are living in the midst of the greatest turning of Muslims to Christ in history. Wow. That, I mean, when you, when you think about it across that, that length of time, um, how everything has been skewed to the 21st century, I mean, this, this is really something that's unprecedented. I mean, we, we don't have Indeed. anything before this time. Well, that's what's striking. It's uh, people ask, you know, what, why now? Why is it happening mm-hmm. now? And I think one of the conclusions I've come to, and I invite our readers to come to their own conclusions, but we're sort of living in the fullness of time, uh, to use biblical terminology, J.D. It's as if God has orchestrated so many things uh, to now. And those things include the fact that we're in a post-colonial world. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time, for a Muslim to convert to Christianity meant to convert to the British uh, Empire, the British Raj, mm-hmm. or to to say I'm a part of now the the French colonization of my country. It was virtually treasonous. Right. But now that you have Muslim governments in place, when people aren't treated properly or they get disgruntled, they're not protesting against a European or an American. They're Mm -hmm. protesting against a fellow Muslim. Mm -hmm. And many times it gives the gospel a, a fair hearing for the first time in their history because those who are dominating them are actually fellow Muslims. Mm, wow. And some of the violence, one of the things we've seen uh, historically is that, that violence has walked uh, step by step with Islam throughout its history. The difference today is that they have an alternative. They're able to log onto their computer, go mm-hmm. to their internet and see a Jesus film. They're able to, to go to a website and dialogue with someone about the gospel in their own language. They're able to turn on satellite television, radio broadcast. They have cousins who are working in, uh, in the West who are exposed to Christianity and hearing the gospel. In fact, it's it was so common among Iranians. You know, their capital city in Iran is Tehran. They mm-hmm. they all have so many cousins in Los Angeles. They call it Tehranjelis. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's the world we live in today. That really didn't exist uh, even um, even fifty years ago. Right. This mixed up uh, world, and, and and with the Bible translations, mm-hmm. uh, that's a fairly recent phenomenon to get it not only into the colloquial language of peoples around the world, but to get it into an oral format. So many Muslims really can't read their own language. Mm-hmm. And so now they're able to to hear it and to see it and to get the gospel in ways that weren't possible, uh, again, even 50 years ago. So you, you, men- you mentioned, for example, the, the Iranians that have, that have migrated to the states. I, I know that the bulk of the book is, is, is looking at the peoples within the House of Islam that's mapped out there in the book that – doesn't refer much to those living in diaspora. Yes, in fact, it's 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 uh, it's a striking uh, reality uh, that all of the movements that we looked at, probably ninety percent of them, are taking place inside the Muslim world. They're not taking place in our world. Mm-hmm the world where these diaspora are scattered. Right. Uh, in fact, we've got many, many instances anecdotally where uh, people have come to Christ inside the Muslim world, they've migrated to the West, and after they settled in the West, they just sort of became agnostic mm-hmm. or became hedonist. They became secularized. So it, it really, in some ways, speaks to um, to a need to, to, to reevaluate the way we're reaching out to Muslims. Mm-hmm. We, as the body of Christ living in the West, J.D., have lessons to learn from the body of Christ that's emerging 
inside these persecuted contexts on the other side of the world. And that was one of the purposes in writing this book, was so that we could listen to brothers and sisters who have come to faith in Christ within Muslim communities so that maybe we can gain some insights. How is it that for 13 centuries we as as Christian communities were so ineffective in reaching Muslims? Mm-hmm. And yet today there's so many coming to Christ. Can we humble ourselves and learn from those who are effective fishermen mm-hmm. in those Muslim pools of, uh, of people coming to faith in Christ? If we can learn those lessons, I think there's hope for us here in America and in Europe and other places where Muslim uh, immigrants are pouring in. You, you mentioned uh, one of the purposes was to, to listen to those majority world believers, but but you talk about some other purposes for writing the book. Can you share those with us? Yeah, you know, I, I, these are some of the critical issues I bring out in one of the early chapters. There's four purposes or desired outcomes I had for the book. The first one was to accurately and honestly and as professionally as possible capture this historical moment, because this is a this is a moment in not only in in secular history but in salvation history when something unprecedented has happened. Mm-hmm. I wanted to capture that accurately. The second desired outcome was that we as Christians would realize, despite our fears and our concerns about what's happening in the Muslim world, that we would realize that God loves Muslims, mm-hmm. and He has their salvation on His agenda, so that we would get on God's agenda as well, and that we would not fear hate and fight Muslims, but instead we would gear ourselves up to love Muslims, to pray for Muslims, and to win Muslims to faith in Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. The third desired outcome is that Muslims, many of whom are horrified victims of the atrocities that they're seeing across the Muslim world, that many of those who are considering, is this really God's will, would wake up and see that this is their day of salvation. If they will follow other examples from across the House of Islam and say yes to Jesus, they can chart for themselves and for their family a whole new course, a course in relationship with God uh, through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And the, the final desired outcome is what I alluded to before, is that, that we would learn these ways that God is at work. Uh, you know, Jesus said, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And one of the things we've learned is that there's there's a lot of ways to fish. There, you can be an effective fisherman. You can be an ineffective fisherman. But fishermen who are good fishermen learn to fish. Mm-hmm. And the body of Christ needs to learn to be more effective fishermen. And we need to learn it from the body of Christ around the world. Uh, I often say if the body of Christ only knew what the body of Christ knows— the body of Christ would know all it needs to mm-hmm. know to do the work of Christ in the world. And what that means is we in the West who have been the knowers, we've been the most educated, the most experienced perhaps over the past uh, century or two, we need to humble ourselves and go to others and say, how is it that you're winning these Muslims to Christ? What can we learn from you? How right. can you teach us to be more effective? So the pastor that's out there listening to this podcast, uh, the the individual or the or the family that's pre- preparing themselves uh, for the field that they're they're going into one of the rooms, the House of Islam. Um, if there's only one thing that they can take away, and, and, may, and, may, and, may, and maybe maybe that's different depending on whether they're going to to move into the House of Islam uh, or whether they're going to continue pastoring uh, that church somewhere in the U.S. Uh, what, what's the what's the big thrust for them? What do they what do they need to walk away with from from this podcast 
for them to then lay hands on your book to take a look at it? Well, the first thing they need to do, and this is the primary thing above everything else, they need to pray. They need to mm-hmm. pray for Muslims mm-hmm. because prayer gets it gives us the heart of God. It helps us to see Muslims as God sees them, and it begins to change us. And when that happens, we do find our fear replaced with love. Mm-hmm. We find our, our arrogance uh, sometimes uh, replaced with a humility and a willingness to be taught. Right. And so uh, this summer, let me just give an invitation to your listeners. Yes, please do. Uh, every year uh, during the month of Ramadan, when Muslims are praying and fasting for a month, Christians are now joining them. They're coming alongside saying, we're going to pray that God will reveal to you the greatest gift of all, which is His Son, Jesus Christ, the only way of salvation. And for 30 days every year during the month of Ramadan, there's an emphasis called 30 Days of Prayer for the Muslim World. And I want to invite your listeners to join us this summer. They can actually Google 30 Days of Prayer. Okay. And they can be a part of this. There's a a website. They can download a prayer guide to learn more about the Muslim world, to pray for Muslims, and to ask God to reveal His Son, the only way of salvation, to Muslims throughout the world. And so that's going to—that month actually begins uh, June— uh, June the 17th this summer. It moves every year. It moves right. back 11 days on a lunar calendar. Mm-hmm. But I invite your listeners to Google 30 Days of Prayer. Invite their churches. Pastors, invite your churches to be a part of this prayer emphasis. And it's a great way to be on mission with God and to be a part of what He's doing among Muslim communities around the world. My guest today on Strike the Match uh, has been uh, Dr. David Garrison, uh, global strategist for Evangelical Advance with the International Mission Board and author of numerous books, uh, including the one we've been discussing today, A Wind in the House of Islam, How God is Drawing Muslims Around the World to Faith in Jesus Christ. If you have not checked out this book, uh, I want to encourage encourage you, to strongly encourage you to get a copy of, of, of this work. Uh, the, the historical information is, is, is wonderful. Uh, it does not read like a history book. Uh, the, the cultural information that you need to help better understand what the Muslim world is like is, is outstanding and very, very easy to grasp. But then above all else, to be able to, to hear uh, stories of, of what the Spirit is doing is just, just an amazing testimony to God's grace uh, throughout uh, the House of Islam today. Uh, David has some really practical guidelines in this book as well, uh, some of those he, he's shared with us today, and so I, I want to encourage you to make sure you check out uh, Wind in the House of Islam. David, do you have an online presence that we can find you if we want to look at you? Yes, they can, uh, they can visit us on Facebook, look for a Wind in the House of Islam, or we have a website, windinthehouse.org, and uh, we'll try to keep them updated. windinthehouse.org or Wind in the House of Islam on Facebook. David, thanks so much for being on Strike the Match today. Thank you, J.D. It's my pleasure. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpayne.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.